Well, I sure thank our worship team for um, their not only sharing their gifts with us, but they got up really early this morning. Uh, a lot earlier than probably most of us did. And I'm so grateful for their gifts to us and for their love to us in doing that. Uh, I did a really stupid thing, and you probably are wondering, well, that's what's new. Um, but I, I, I've done this a couple of times, but I, I, I was about a, not even a year ago, I had some new shoes that I put on, and and I didn't realize that later in the day I was going for a kind of a long walk, and sometimes I'll pray and I'll, I'll just walk out, and there's a path that you can walk out and walk around out there. And I walked a distance, and it was fine. On the way back, I could hardly walk at all because of the way the kind of shoe boot that was rubbing my ankle. Um, and it, it was rubbed it, you know, raw and sore. And I just thought to myself, well, you know what? I'll go ahead and I'll take my shoes off. And this is more in the summertime. I'll just walk in my bare feet. Well, then I got back here and my feet were aching from all over. Um, why do I tell you this? Because this passage of scripture that when we look at the plagues and we look at what happens in Exodus, you will find again and again that there is Pharaoh coming through something and at the end of it, kind of rub raw through irritants that have happened through these plagues. And he merely um, ignores it. And I was thinking to myself when I was wearing those shoes, you know, if I just ignore this and continue to wear these, eventually, you know, I'll build up a callus, right? Because that's how calluses work. You, you build up calluses because there's a little irritation, you ignore it, and then it hurts a bit more, and you kind of um, develop a hot spot, and after that hot spot develops, you maybe put some things around it so that you can continue to wear that, maybe a Band-Aid or something like that, and you continue to ignore it, and eventually, as you continue to ignore the pain whether it's on your palm or whether it's around your ankle or a friction between your toes, whatever it might be, our skin does a really magical thing. You know what it does? It creates a layer of dead skin. And then it creates another layer of dead skin. It continues to keep doing that. And that's how a callus is formed. You have this callus and our skin has created a situation that under that spot, you just kind of lose sensitivity. And it hardens. And finally, you have no problem because what you're doing doesn't hurt anymore. Well, what's interesting is when we read this passage of Scripture and we see all these plagues and you see Pharaoh's response, uh, what you have happening is the same thing, but it's around his heart, a place that was to be sensitive to God. And God would come and he'd bring his, get his attention and there'd be a little fear and, and, and then, you know, in the same way you can rationalize it and then, and then he could be doing this to you. You feel a little more pain and, and, and you experience that and then you kind of ignore that. And then you begin to start hearing, you know, God's word in different ways where it really is kind of hitting your heart and you hear it through maybe a message or you sing a song or you hear it through someone or you read it in some place and, and, or as you think about it, also God keeps kind of pricking your conscience and, and what you can do is to rationalize it, ignore it, and eventually our hearts do a magical thing. They they create enough of layers so that our hearts become calloused and hardened. And so my question that I want us just to think about as we go through this message is, is there a place in your heart where there might be some callous developing? And then what does it look like to develop a soft heart? Let's pray together. Father, 
As we come to you this morning, I ask that you would allow for your word to speak deep into our hearts and that you would grab hold of our hearts. And God, whether there be any place where it may be developing calluses or, or God, maybe just our desire is just to grow in, in a soft heart and a responsive heart to you. Would you, Holy Spirit, come, I pray, and in this time and through this message, speak to our hearts about your incredible goodness and your mercy and, and the fact that, God, what you have for us always is good and, and, and your purposes are for our health, wealth, and benefit, and welfare, and all that, God. And so, God, may we live with an understanding of that and be open to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So have you ever had a fly in your soup? Anybody ever have that? Just, you know, you know, the waiter comes and, and they put the uh, bowl in front of you and you look down and there in front of you is, it's kind of disgusting with this little fly is kind of swimming around, right? And you have that experience and, and before the waiter leaves, you just basically are going to ask him, what's this fly doing in my soup? You're a little bit offended. And he leans down to examine it and he examines it and looks back at you and says he's doing the backstroke. Um, <laughs> that's an old stupid joke, but anyway. What I want to do is talk a little bit about flies, and um, I want to give you a quick summary, because last week when we talked about this whole narrative of Moses coming before Pharaoh and asking that the people be released so they could worship God, uh, the last one we looked at last week was the fourth plague, which begins, remember there's nine plagues and a tenth one is, is the final one, which is the firstborn, but there's nine plagues and there are three sets of three. And the first three we've talked about, the fourth one begins something new. And so in the fourth one, um, what you have in, in, in this is a change. In the first three, you have what I would call more economic sanctions. It's, it's as if God is coming and he's making things difficult. It's annoying. It's an irritant, the things that are happening. But, it, but it's, it's more or less to get their attention as a nation. It's kind of doing some things that would grab their attention so they and Pharaoh and the people would listen to him. Well, at this point, as you move into the next three plagues, which we'll be looking at um, today, we'll look at the fifth and sixth together, but when we started with the fourth, it was the one on flies, and with the flies became not just economic sanctions, it was actually a declaration of war. So as we go into these next three plagues, it is like God saying, I'm declaring war. I'm here in your midst. It's not outside. But I'm here, and, and it's war has begun. And, and if you remember, I said last week, flies um, have been, those biting, non-biting flies um, were often compared to the Egyptian army. So they kind of in their head know that when flies are coming and they're coming from God, it may be in a sense God's army coming against them. And so it begins with the swarm, it says in the last week's lesson. It didn't say swarm of flies, it just said swarm, which can be biting and non-biting ones. And the, the reality is it's hard to know what flies fully he's talking about because it can mean so many. There are actually 119,500 known species of flies in the world. So we know it's a swarm and that's what they said. The swarm of flies had naturally come and now from that begins the fifth plague. There's this kind of moving from the flies to the diseased livestock and, and the infections that would come which would then come also in the sixth plague to the people and that was through boils, or it would be through um, staphylococcal infections. Staphylococcus is a, is, is a kind of bacterial disease that had landed on the people. So here's a little info about flies. 
I said I'd share a little bit about flies. Here, here's what researchers have found. They captured eight flies and allowed them to come into contact with various types of germs. And the flies were allowed to settle and walk on, though, then after that, certain foods. Within five minutes, the food was contaminated with 9,000 germs. And 30 minutes later, this increased to 500,000 germs. Think about it. A half million germs in 30 minutes. Now, this is kind of PG-13, what I'm going to share with you in, in regard to grossness. So I'm glad we have about 70 women and moms on retreats and things like that because... Um, Kids, you are in here. This is gross. Anyway, flies love filth. Flies love any kind of excrement. They love to walk on it, land on it, go over it. And since they're not very polite and they're not very discerning, they will go from there to whatever food may be available even on your own table. And they will walk over your food. And what they do is they take and regurgitate, vomit out, onto your own food. That's how they disperse germs. And the reason I'm telling you this is because naturally, if the flies are attacking the people, the next thing that will probably happen is that people will get diseases and so will the livestock. And this is where we begin in the fifth plague. We're covering these two plagues. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read scripture Um, As I read this scripture, if you would just listen to the story. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field and on your horses, donkeys and camels and on your cattle and your sheep and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel, this is in the land of Goshen, and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And and then the next day, the Lord did it. And all the livestock of the Egyptians died. But not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. And then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take a handful of soot in front of the furnace, and have Moses Moses toss it into the air in in the presence of Pharaoh. And it will become like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on the people and the animals throughout the land. So now we're into the sixth plague. So they took the soot of a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it in the air, and festering boils broke out on all the people and the animals. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord said to Moses. Thanks, you may be seated. What I'd like to do is just kind of walk through these two plagues and, and share with you what's going on and, and then just kind of give you some practical teaching right at the end. Um, hopefully it'll be practical as we go through it too. And, and as we look at this, again, we're talking about these are what I call acts of war against Pharaoh. It's now kind of not just irritants, annoyances. It's now moving into a place where God is, is coming with wrath. 
And the reason we can know that is because God does not come in punishing wrath on his own people. Whenever you experience those kind of difficulties, they're like, don't listen. If you are a person who is who has opened your heart and said, God, I want to follow you with my entire life, and, and you have allowed for the wrath to come on, in that sense, the son of Jesus Christ, and you've believed in him, he doesn't come with you with wrath anymore. He only comes to discipline you like a father to a child out of love in order for you to move into better places for your character to be more formed like Jesus. So here is this, this statement of he's coming with wrath and he's making a distinction. He's setting apart his people so that they won't experience the wrath of God. And I call these acts of wars because, as I said last week, this was the first development of smart flies, right? They knew exactly where to go. Not one of them was in the land of Goshen. And now the next two acts of wars specifically when you think about it, are on the transportation system. It hits the horses, donkeys, and camels, kind of, kind of the vehicles of their day. And then it also hits their production plants and their food supply, the cattle, sheep, and goats, and finally it strikes against their health as a people as there are boils and these infections that sit on all, settle on all the people. So let's run through this. It's Exodus chapter 9, verse 1. And you see it says here, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him. Now, this is different than the first. When I mentioned to you the first um, plague, the fourth plague, the first of all these three, the first, fourth, and the seventh, all begin with this similar kind of thing where it says, go to um, the Nile, go and early in the morning, get up and go to the Nile and take your position. Here it begins right away and says, go to Pharaoh. He's not saying go to the Nile this time. He's saying go into his palaces where he probably was going to. Pharaoh actually means big house, the name. It's a title that was given to him, probably given way back in history when the most um, wealthy guy who, who controlled everything lived in the big house. It's kind of like the guy living in the White House, right? So he was Pharaoh, he lived in the big house, and, and he goes to the big house, so to speak, and, and he says to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews says, let my people go to worship. They want, and God wants them to worship. And it's God's repeated demand. He's basically saying, my people are not slaves. They were never meant to be slaves. Their identity is that they are sons and daughters of the king. And, and I say that because it's important for us to realize our God is a God who does not want people enslaved um, physically, and that's why it's one of the things that we need to do in, in justice causes to move into places to set people free, to help people who are in those kind of situations. But he also doesn't want his people to be enslaved to their own sinful desires, to, the own, to, to themselves that create um, consequences that cause them to be enslaved. And so he comes and he says, I, I, I want these people set free. Because in worship, one of the reasons worship is so important, you know, some people go, I only come in for the message. Worship is important for you. When you worship, you exalt God. You place him on the throne. And when that happens, your fears go down. The things that enslave you. God sets you free. He does miraculous things. Anyway, Exodus 9, 2 through 3. If you refuse to let them go and you continue to hold them back, catch this, the hand of the Lord will bring terrible plagues on you. You have to see this now. This is the fifth plague. If you go back to the third, the last of the first three, these these economic sanctions, so they finally come to this point. There is a the magicians have been able to copy everything 
that Moses has done. Their staffs turn into snakes. They are able to make the water a color of blood. They're able to allow get frogs to come out. But the one thing they can't do is little micros, you know, the small little gnats. They can't replicate that. So they finally look at them and go, this is the finger of a god. Pharaoh, this is beyond us. And so then you have the flies that come in. Now you have this. And here's what he says. If you refuse to hold back the hand of the Lord, will come against you. You've experienced what my finger can do. Now you experience my hand if you hold them back. If you continue to hold them with your hand, you'll experience my hand. And the flick of my, my finger may be cause a little pain, but the slap of my hand is going to cause greater pain. And the point here, to catch this again, it's not because God loves to go and hurt people. He's trying to get Egypt and the Egyptians' attention, and he's trying to get our attention to see that he loves us, and in mercy, he will continue to awaken us so that we will maybe turn and think again from a course that we're going on. He does all this out of love and mercy, and we'll look at that more next week. So Romans, uh, Romans Exodus chapter 9, 4. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, and not an animal in Israel will experience this. In a sense, I'll spare my people from the wrath. And remember last week when I was talking about that um, smart flies and that distinction, the reason he makes this distinction is found in that passage, and it's the same here. I will make a distinction not one fly will be found in, all, in Goshen so that you know, so that you know that I, the Lord, am in this land. And you might go, well, what's so important about that? In that day and that age, they would the gods that they worshipped lived in their land. The God of the Hebrews was still back in his land. So when he's saying this, he's not, he's not saying, well, you know, I, the Hebrew God is showing up and he's saying something and he's outside the land. He's saying, no, the Hebrew God is right here. He's in your midst. It's, it's a whole different thing to have a war that's off your borders, but to have one within is really something that causes people to wake up. What happened with 9-11? And so that's kind of the point. And, and you note there, he says, he says, not one fly will be found in Goshen. And this is important because when we come to the next step of the distinction where not one animal gets diseased and none of the people get boils, it's because they don't have the carriers of the contaminant in their land. So that natural process is stopped. It's broken. And finally... As we look at this kind of attack on, on, on Pharaoh and, and the people of Egypt, it's, it's, it's not just on Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. It's really against the gods they trusted in. He's basically saying, listen, Pharaoh in Egypt, I want you to know not just the God of the Hebrews, but the God of this whole universe. And he's made that clear through um, all the attacks he's done in plagues on the land and the, and the water and the air. They know that he's the God over all this. So that it's just, uh, you know, in some ways it can be really complicated, but in many ways it's just incredibly full picture of God. And the reason this is important is because when he comes against the cattle and he comes against the, the sheep and he comes against the ram, they were gods that they worshipped. They have the god Apis and Menivis who are the bull gods, and sometimes you see in shows, you'll see, you know, like this person with a bull with a head, or you'll see a person with the bull's head, just different things like that. That was the bull gods. There was a god named Hathar, which is a cow god, and there's a god, Knum, which was the ram god. And sometimes God comes in out of mercy and grace 
And he shakes us awake from the gods that we trust in. I can't help but think that it is not accidental that I, back last spring, sort of praying about what do you want us to do, God? And, he, and it was very clear. He said, go through the, book, the whole book of Exodus. I just want you to preach through it. And as I was kind of going through this, all of a sudden we hit this time. We just think about it. Our, um, our system of health is shaken. Our systems of wealth have been shaken and are still, we're still afraid because supply lines, all kinds of other things are going on. And, and then you think about it politically. We, we can easily externalize it and say, boy, those candidates and people, they're just really ugly. I think God is allowing us to see politically what's in the hearts of our people. We are divided, angry people who divide black and white and just hate people. And he's saying, even to the church, that is not the character of Jesus. And I think he sometimes shakes us loose of the gods we trust in. And I kind of say, where is there a shaking where possibly a callus could have developed where he's saying, listen, I love you so much. It isn't about your 401k. It isn't even about your health. Your security and your sense of of of." of Protection and provision comes from me alone. And so he, he shakes this all up. And he goes on in Exodus chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. The Lord set a time, and, and it's kind of specific here. Tomorrow, the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day, the Lord did it. So he sets a time, says it's tomorrow, and he does it just like he says he's going to do and, and these are natural progressions of, 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 um, of, 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 of nature that are of biblical proportion. But the reality is the pervasiveness of it, how widespread it is, the um, fact that, um, uh, that he is able to say in one area and not in another points to God. And the last thing that points to God is the timing. It happens when God says so. It stops when God says so. And so here's this last degree where you're kind of going, this is not just, it is the nat, God uses natural things in our life. He uses natural things to get our attention. In Exodus chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, all the livestock of Egypt died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Remove the carrier, the flies, and there's no contagion, diseases or boils. So Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals that Israelites had died, which is really interesting. And you get this picture of going, you know what? He said they're not going to have a... I didn't check the flies, but check this one. And they check it, and he comes, and they're amazed. Not one has died. Now, I would think that would get your attention, right? You, You might go, oh, that's pretty profound, He's able to keep flies out of a place. He's able to keep disease out of a place. I probably should pay attention. But listen to what it says. Yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. This now is the fifth time that there's been this rubbing on the heart It's the fifth time that layers of insensitivity and layers of pride and arrogance that begin to start standing up to God and saying, God, I don't care. It's the second time that God protects his people. 
and the callus grows. So I thought I'd just ask this question and I'd answer it quickly. How do you develop a calloused heart? Think about it for a second. If you were to, if you were to give someone a three, four step process to developing a calloused heart, what would you do? Well, Pharaoh's an incredibly great teacher, okay? So if you want a textbook story on it, this is it. And what you find here is this is what's going on. The first thing is I just tell someone, just refuse to listen. Don't listen with your heart. And this is not about how to develop a callus just to God. This is how you can develop calluses to other people. This is what happens in your marriage. This is what happens with people you work with. This is, is an employer over employees. This happens um, as leaders over others. Or it happens within um, ministries. Or it happens within friendships even. Just refuse to listen. Again and again, you don't listen and you don't seek to understand what's going on. You don't, you don't stop back and step back and go, you know what? I would really try to understand what's going on here. Without judgments, without defensiveness, without, just listen. And, and then the second thing I would say is just, this is a key one that really helps you develop a hard heart, okay? So if you want to get calluses, just repent superficially. You know what I mean? Just very superficial. Because you've seen Pharaoh do this a couple times. He, he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. He's repenting because he's feeling pain. Oh, this really hurts. I really, I like things back to the way they were. If we just get kind of homeostasis, we can just get equilibrium again. You ever done that in your own marriage, in your own situation? You're really repenting because you're gonna, you get a loss of something, you feel the pain of something yourself, and you're repenting about your own pain, and you haven't given one bit of thought to their pain. That kind of experience will create a hard heart. And then rebel high-handedly. High-handed rebellion is, is the stuff that says, um, whether you raise your hand or not, it's kind of like, I'm not going to listen. This is all about me and my own pain and my own life. And the high-handedness says, I am the boss of me and no one else. Right? Don't you, don't, God, I love, I'll do a few of the things you say, but I'm not going to do, I'm not going to completely follow you because I'm the boss of me. And then the last is this. Reject God regardless of the reality. And the reality is this. The merciful, gracious, loving God who shows up where it's undeniable, but you deny it. It's just undeniable that you go, yeah, it doesn't matter. I've already decided who's boss here. Reject God now and tomorrow and the next day and the next year and throughout your life and your heart will harden in rejection so you will reject God for eternity. I, I wrote this and I think I will read this. Dallas Wood puts it like this. I am thoroughly convinced that God will let everyone into heaven who can stand it. You go, well, what does that mean? If I put it in my own words, if you... If you don't want God's will in your life now, why do you think you would ever want it for eternity? Right? Or or put it this way. If you don't want to draw close to God's presence and follow him and his purpose for your life today, why would you think that someday you'll want that forever? Jesus said it this way, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation, he wasn't really, I almost wanted to take those words out, those are harsh. But adulterous basically means instead of loving the love that I'm supposed to with my God, I'm loving something else. I'm loving a lesser God. 
sinful means I'm just self-centered and it's all about me. In this kind of generation, the Son of Man will then be ashamed of him or her when Jesus, he comes to in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Jesus called everyone to follow him and to live with him, both today and forever. And God always puts the choice in our court. That's what he was doing with Pharaoh. And I, too, like the house world, am thoroughly convinced God will let everyone into heaven who can stand it. The problem is that sinful, selfish hearts can't bear God's holy presence. Not even the best of the pastors or missionaries or Bible teachers are the best of the best. But here's the good news. If we unashamedly call out to Jesus in humility... He purifies our hearts and draws us into his holy presence today and forever. And it's not about whether I can stand it, but it's about Christ who has made me fit to stand in his presence. So let's run through the plagues six. This attack on the boils, verse eight. Then the Lord said to Moses, take handfuls of soot in the furnace. Um, In the past, Pharaoh superficially repents but if you notice this time he's surveyed, he's investigated, and there's, there's no warning, just like there has been also no warning when he superficially repented before. There's no warning, so there's no need. God just says, Jesus, go back into Pharaoh's palace again. What I want you to do is go over to his, he's got this really nice wood-burning stove in this big room that he's at. And I want you to go over, take the soot that's there. I want you to take that soot and I want you to stand there in his presence before Pharaoh and go, Pharaoh, and throw it up in the air and say, you know what? Just like all this dust, which is so fine, it kind of settles and you can't even see it once I've thrown it up in the air where it lands, so also will boils in this infectious disease settle on the people and create these boils. And so he gives no warning. He moves into this next act of war, verses 10 and 11. So they took soot from a furnace, stood before Pharaoh, tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on both people and animals. And I think this is an interesting phrase. If you note this, the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. And I think the statement here is this. He is now, he has hit the transportation system. He's hit the production and, and, and supply lines. He is now coming and he's hit the food sources. And now he has also dealt with their health within the community. And the final thing is this. He goes, you're magicians. And see, magicians were in those days, they weren't like, the, you know, let's go to Las Vegas, do a magic show. They were his advisors. They were his cabinet. And it's almost as if you could imagine you have a president with a cabinet and the whole cabinet's wiped out. When you get to this sixth one, it's, it's you know, the, at the other one, the magicians say this is the finger of God. Now you get to the very end of the, the, the next set of three, it's not only they say this is the finger of God, they can't even stand before God. And so you see this, this, this thorough attack, in a sense, for the purpose of getting a hold of their hearts. And um, Pharaoh doesn't bat an eye. Because look what happens next. And this is where people, I think, get this kind of messed up. It says, then the Lord, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord said to Moses. The callous had fully formed. There was no longer any responsiveness. Pharaoh will serve God's purposes just as God had predicted would happen because of the hardness of his heart. 
And people go, oh man, if God hardened his heart. Well, the reality is that according to this, there were six, he was in the sixth plague here. And as a sixth plague, it comes after that. Six is in a sense the worst of humanity, that number. There's really seven that he's experienced. He actually experienced one before that, and that was the demonstration of the snake. So if you take all seven of those before him, there has been a perfect completing, according to number seven, hardening of his heart so that there is like a, it's spoiled so there is nothing more God can do with it. And so now God steps in, and as one commentator said, if you harden your heart long enough and often enough, God will harden it for you. He will fix your self-chosen direction. Now that's a scary place to be. I would love to be able to just share some jokes and have us laugh a little bit. But this kind of thing isn't a laughing matter. And I, I, I understand that when I speak to you even in a crowd like this, there are people who this is striking deep into your core. And you're going, I know, I have not gotten things right with Jesus. I've never, ever even opened my heart to him. I've just always said I want to be the boss of me. And, and, and Jesus is saying, you know, I love you so much. I don't want you to build another callus. I don't want you to harden your heart more. Because you never know when the fullness of that comes and it gets set in a direction. And God wants, he wants you to experience his love. He wants you to be free from a whole lot of lesser desires that you think are big desires. And so here's the million dollar question for many. The first is to say this. Let me ask the question. How do you develop a warm, responsive heart toward God? And I gave three things that you can do that I think are really important. But the first thing I'm going to say is if you have never opened your heart and received Christ as your Savior and said, I am sorry for the sin in my life and I want you to begin to lead, to be my my life leader, that's what creates a responsive open heart. It begins with this very first listening and asking and says, would you come into my life? So I want you to think about that. But I also want to talk to you others who said, well, I've made that decision and you've been in the church, you've grown up in the church, but you still have never come to a place where you said, I really, I want to give you everything, God. I really want to follow you with my whole heart. I've never really done that. I, I've, I've, I've bought the, quote, fire insurance, right? I, I, I don't want to go to hell someday. I don't want to somehow suffer the consequence of my choices thinking that somehow um, someday out there, maybe I'll, 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 I'll follow you with my life. But you're in this place right now, and, and the Holy Spirit is saying to you, no, it's not about someday. Don't even play that game. It's about today. And, 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 and the way you begin to develop a soft heart is to listen to the Spirit of God right now. It's to listen to the Spirit of God when you walk out of this place. It's to listen to the Spirit of God when you wake up in the morning. It's to listen to the Spirit of God through his word when you go throughout the day. It's about listening. It's the same thing that you do in a marriage relationship. It's about listening, and instead of defending and moving into a place where you're trying to preserve your way, your sense of being right, or whatever it might be, 
you, you stop and you don't, you, 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 you withhold that and you really ask to say, help me understand. Help me what's in this. I, I want to really fully know. And it always begins, a soft heart begins with listening and asking. And, and then the second thing is it's, it's being sorry for them, not for you. And I put that that way because it's really being, it's about getting outside yourself. It's about realizing it's not about, um, the pain you felt and the discomfort you felt, and it's about what you may have caused in someone else's heart and life and experience. Real change takes place in our hearts and creates a soft heart when we begin to value and understand my actions caused real pain here. You may not have intended it. You may have intended it. It doesn't matter. It's just owning up and saying, I am so sorry for what I did. And it's not about trying to get them to see what they did to you. That's the work of God in their heart. You're not going to control them to get, I mean, it's great to have a you know, conversation, but so often that conversation gets around trying to get some person, you know, you get two people fighting to try and get the other person to think what they're thinking. How, how many does that work for you? It all really begins, if you really, I'm just talking about having a soft heart, it begins by listening, and not just listening once, it's, it's a lifestyle of listening to the Spirit of God and the Word of God, it, which moves into a place of God, when I'm out of sorts with you, when I have hurt someone, or when I have been in this place, and, and, and relationship has been disrupted with you and with someone else, my first go-to thing is not to defend myself, and, and I'm, I'm telling you this, because that's me. So last week, I went five minutes over, or helped the whole service go five minutes over, and we were sitting in a staff meeting, and, and people were sharing the pain and discomfort because their ministry, because we went over, how it all suffers. And I'm sitting in there, it's like, yeah. And as I'm working on this message this week, and I remember even sitting in there, I had this kind of prompting, you know what, and I, and I said I'm sorry in the meeting, but it was one of the more of the sorries that was like I knew I should do that. Anybody relate to me? I'm, I'm kind of out here, I'm feeling a bit vulnerable. <laughs> okay, okay. And as I was working through the, I got to tell you, if, you, if you don't want to come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, don't teach or preach. I'm preparing this message and God's working in my heart and I'm going, what a fool, Kevin. You, you just messed up some things for people. Why can't you just admit it and feel their pain and end the service right now? <laughs> and it just hit me. and I, You know what? You have to listen and ask Quit defending. Seek to understand. You do that in a relationship always with God. Let me tell you something. Sometimes you won't understand what God's commanding you to do. You just have to do it in faith. It makes no sense in a difficult financial world we're in today to to raise your giving to God or do something like that. It makes no sense in this world today where things are so hectic to say, you know what, I need to find my spiritual gift and I need to learn how to serve in in a ministry and give more time when you feel your time's, you know, just like so crowded. That kind of stuff doesn't make sense. But he says, listen and ask. He then says, I want you to repent and your repentance needs to be about the offense you've caused God and the pain you've caused someone else. It's not about trying to get your relationship back the way it was so you feel okay. And then the third thing is this, don't wait and debate. 
Don't wait and debate. I just, you know, if you want to use the slogan, just do it, that's fine with me. Obey when God speaks. Do it immediately. Be quick to obey. Develop, I think one of the best ways to develop a responsiveness to God is to not hesitate and not to do a bunch of self-rationalizing talk. I mean, it's really easy to do that. You're, have you ever been in an experience where you're sharing with someone and you're starting to share and you're kind of, you could just, you have a check in your spirit and you know you shouldn't be sharing that? Do you stop? Do you, do you wait and kind of debate in your head going, well, you know what, this person needs this prayer request anyway, or something, you know? When you, when you are actually in a situation and, and God begins to kind of just, you know, tap in her and go, you know, don't, don't do that, do you stop? Or I'll put it this way, when God is prompting you and you see someone and you see that need and you know that you're kind of busy, but you know that this is not just about saying no to busyness, this is more about saying yes to God, do you, do you follow the prompting? If you really want, as, as the scripture says, a soft a heart that doesn't develop calluses, that is responsive to God, it's all about listening and, and staying more in tune with what God is doing out here rather than less in tune about how things are affecting you in a sense. And I'm not denying the fact that you need to have boundaries. So hear that. There are some people who are not good at that and you need to pay attention to the fact that you, you give yourself to everything. God doesn't like that. But he's talking about the kind of person, as I said, is their heart is soft because they have repentance for what is out here. And then they move into this place and they just won't wait and debate. They're just going to, when God speaks, they say, okay. So like if you're in a car and, and you're going along and, and, you, and you see a little text come up on your, on your car, uh, what's your temptation? When you know the law says don't do it. But you kind of in your mind go, you know, just this one, it could, I, I've been waiting for this very important message. I mean, God is, comes to us in all kinds of different ways. It could be that you, you are here, and as I've been speaking about relationships, you know that you're in a situation where you haven't really fully uh, forgiven. And, and you've held that into your heart, and, and it's become a littleness, like a bitterness. And God has been saying, like when we did communion or over the, some other periods of time, he's saying, forgiveness is not an option. It's not a gift that you're giving yourself. It's a gift you give someone else. And I give gifts. I'm a God who's gracious, and so I'm calling you right where you're at to say at this point I'm going to forgive I'm not going to hold that person in my judgment any longer that's God's job I mean there are so many ways if you just want to think about how God speaks to you are you responsive and every time you respond to God in obedience and you do it quickly in that sense without kind of debating him and trying to rationalize it it creates a softer heart and that's what we're about as a people. That's what God wants for us. Just to listen and promptly respond to God's voice every time. And every time you obey instead of a callous, it, it, it forms a heart that's open to God. I'm going to ask the team um, to come as we uh, end in worship. And we're going to sing this song, which is really a song of response to this. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, as well. And as you sing, I'm going to encourage you to continue to just to process what God may have been processing in your heart. Maybe you're not supposed to sing right now. Maybe you're just supposed to listen. Maybe it is an opportunity for you to kind of say, God, I...
I have never opened my heart to you. I haven't received you as my Savior. I have never said I want you to be my Lord and life leader. And I do want this today. Or God has been saying there's this callous in your heart. It's around your finances or it's around your time. Or it's it's around the way you treat people and you feel it's okay to, to kind of run over them. Because you you need to get this done. Or whatever it might be. Let God break that. So that he can... Uh, creating you a, a, a clean and soft heart.